Matthew 24, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. We have one verse as a text, but I will back up just for a bit of context, begin reading in verse 3. So when you have that, either in your bulletins as it's printed, or in your Bibles, or in your, your iPhone, your smartphone, just look up and I'll commence reading. If you're visiting, just uh, be aware that we are under the Word of God. We are not above it. We don't choose what we are to believe. The Word has all of our agenda as far as our faith, our worship, uh, our conduct as His people. And so we'd like to preach the whole counsel of God, all that Christ has commanded His disciples. That is the commission every church has, and uh, we, want, we want to do that. We want to please the Lord and to give you all of the faith that is, uh, has been once upon a time delivered to the saints, the, the completeness of the, of, the, of the teaching of Christ. And we think it's best uh, to do that by reading through uh, our book and uh, explaining its meaning and then making some kind of application, how this is God's will for you in Christ, what you are to believe and what, to, what you are to, uh, to do as a duty. All right, beginning, beginning with, uh, with, with verse 3 as context. As Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are but the beginning of the birth pangs. And they will deliver you up to tribulation, and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another, and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Beloved, all flesh is as grass, and its beauty is as the flower of the field. Grass withers, its flower fades. But the word of our God endures forever. This is the word that was just read to you by God's help that will be preached. Please be seated. If we're reading our gospel carefully, you will see that in verse 14, we really have a most stupendous statement and prophecy by the Lord. Keep in mind that in the three or three and a half years of his earthly ministry, the Lord has had a, a triumph, uh, many, many sterling successes, stellar testimony of the wisdom of God and His teaching, the power of His truth, the power of the, of the Savior over, over His creation, wind and sea, 
over illness, over, over, over demon hosts. These are triumphs. And in such power going forward, one would, of course, anticipate that since this, this is God going forward, this, this will, cannot be fought. It cannot be, it cannot be stopped. It will succeed in the manner for which it was sent. Notice that's the promise from Isaiah 55. The Lord will triumph in his word and in all his will. However, when it comes to the conclusion of the Gospel of Matthew, with all the contradiction and all the, uh, the strategizing and the scheming to trap the Lord in his words, to, uh, as it were, marginalize him from the mainstay of the, of, the, uh, of the Jewish faith, of the leaders, and they are now uh, about to come together the Jews and their Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes and lawyers, and the Roman heads of state to conspire against the Lord and against his anointed. You would think that if such powerful, powerful figures were, us, were against the Lord and his meek band of 12, that this, this uprising, this leading would be quelled, would be put down, it will utterly fail, utterly out of you know political necessity. They just don't have the amperage to take this to the world and gain a colossal victory, more than any emperor, more than an Alexander, more than a Nebuchadnezzar. The Lord Jesus is talking about the triumph of the gospel worldwide. Ah, it's a cosmic triumph. This statement is amazing, and more so because more, most people, when they talk about the, the end of the world and the, the tribulation to come, earthquakes and famine, antichrist, false prophets, the love of go, many going cold, the, you know, increasing violence is in the days of Noah, right? The last thing that anybody will venture a guess as to one of the definite signs is the worldwide triumph of the gospel in the church. Have you heard this as a, as a sign of the, end, of the end times? And yet we go to church week in and week out, and we don't, we don't get it into our heads that what we're doing in publishing and proclaiming and spreading the gospel and evangelizing is indeed bringing about not just the end of the age, but welcoming and heralding the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but this is something that we can do. We can't move mountains that the earth will create. We can't, I hope we don't like to induce famines and all that, but we can hasten the coming of the kingdom of glory by doing what God has chartered us to do in Christ, going into all parts of the world, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all things whatsoever, every single jot and tittle. And we will succeed because the Lord is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. My friends, if the gospel can be improved, and I don't think it can be improved, but if it could be improved, I would venture a guess that the only thing better than that is this statement that as we have the gospel and own the gospel and gossip the gospel and herald the gospel, 
that the Lord himself is with us. That's exceedingly good news. The teaching here is this as follows. It should be surprising. It's been under our nose all the time. The teaching is that in, in, an infallible sign of the near return of Jesus Christ is the gospel having been preached to all the peoples of the world. That's an infallible sign. There are many signs that prove fallible because they are symptomatic of the growing pains of, of childbirth. They become more frequent. They become more uh, intense. But if we misinterpret them as, uh, as signs of the near approach, then they become fallible signs to us. But an infallible sign of the near return of Christ is that the gospel is being preached or has been preached to all the peoples of the world. Now, let me clarify this because uh, this does not mean, it does not mean that every single person living at the time of Jesus' return or any time in the church age at all uh, will have a chance to hear the gospel. The gospel is perversive, uh, pervasive. The, the gospel is as leaven and it will uh, spread uh, throughout all the world. But that does not mean, and we must establish that not everyone who has been born of Adam in this race has heard the gospel, nor are they due the gospel as a right. It is God's mercy that, God, that his gospel in Christ comes to anybody. Now, it could mean this, but it does not necessarily mean uh, this. Because in one sense, as Paul admits, the gospel has been preached to the whole world, throughout the whole empire. But that is, of course, uh, uh, him saying that in every part uh, of the civilized world, of the known world of that day, God has sent forth his ambassadors, his apostles. All right. In that sense, of course, we clarify, but we affirm that. It does not mean that the gospel is to be preached primarily to heads of states. Uh, it's, it's an old practice uh, in the uh, just before the Middle Ages, uh, beginning around in the in the sixth and seventh centuries, uh, it was uh, it was a, a mainstay of the Western Church to evangelize heads of tribes, and if they would be baptized, then the whole nation would be considered to be evangelized, or at least Christian for a time, and the work of discipleship can begin. I don't think that's the intention here. Uh, there would be much more instruction if that were the case. You know, surprisingly, even when we do things like that, uh, the Lord, by His grace, does work and save a people. And there are many, many conversions. I'm not saying not to preach uh, to heads of state. What I'm saying is the gospel is to be preached to every creature under the sun. And it is not countries that are saved. It is souls that are saved from or out of every nation, tribe, language, and tongue. It's not that the nations are saved. The book of Revelations makes a distinction between those that uh, are of the world and tribes and various distributed peoples and those that come out of those tribes. Now, those are the ecclesias, the saints, the church. And so uh, we make a distinction here. We are not necessarily focused on heads of state. And some people have developed that tactic. I hope it works. I, I love to see, as I do all the angels rejoice in anybody 
uh, repents. But I, that's, not, that's not the design uh, here spoken of. Uh, it does not mean that the gospel of the kingdom is not to be preached to the Jews, as if they had another special arrangement, some other covenant uh, that they fall back on as a default. Yeah, they, they strangely did not believe John the Baptist. They, they didn't understand Jesus, but they're still the chosen people of God, right? And so, uh, they, you know, beginning in Jerusalem, of course, they heard the gospel first, but then Samaria, Judea, uttermost parts of the world, well, that's already been covered, so... And besides, they don't need the gospel, but they have their own, as it were, gospel. That is not the case. The gospel is to be preached to the Jew. In fact, if anything, they deserve it first. They are in a position to best understand it if it is narrated to them accurately and compellingly, and that's what Paul did everywhere in the diaspora, uh, pre preaching to the Jews and the synagogues and all that. Okay. Peoples, I say, all peoples is inclusive of the Jews. Now let me get on to then what we are being taught of the infallible sign of the near return of Jesus, this gospel that's being preached, and by the way, and being accepted. That is to say, when the gospel is accepted, churches are established, and that's why I say the preached gospel is a sign of the churches. The church is standing as witnesses to that gospel. That's the sign. All right. The first point of the sermon. Uh, the, end of the, end, the end of the age nears when the whole world is evangelized. All right. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached, and it, and it must be preached. This is by the express command of the Lord Jesus. And here, Jesus prophesies not only the, uh, the method of its propagation and that it will be done, but he here prophesies its, its certainty and its success. Now, the Lord Jesus is the prophet, and he is the, the spirit of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy in throughout all of the Bible, the Old Testament as well. He cannot miss, if he misses in one detail, he's not a prophet at all. But we see here, despite the most, the most unlikely probability of this band of uneducated, fairly resourceless men, crude fishermen and sinning tax co collectors, how they would triumph. And it's because they had more than enough resource by the word of God and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. This gospel, then the same gospel, is the one that will be brought forth to all nations. This is the gospel that Jesus preached. The disciples commissioned on two separate uh, commissionings within Israel at that time. This is the same gospel. Uh, the gospel starting with John the Baptist. And that is inclusive, my friends, of repentance. That is to say, repentance towards God and faith towards his Lamb. And that is clear that that is gospel. That's why the banner over this writing says it's the gospel of Matthew. We preach repentance towards God, faith in the Lord Jesus. And as it's been repeated already, the charter is to make disciples, that is to say, this is a society of learners 
and teachers, and the task is to teach all that the Lord Jesus has commanded. The gospel charter has a command in it, and commands, of course, are laws. But laws that are blessed by Jesus' presence to succeed are gracious laws. And the gospel is a law in that sense. And we are commanded as a law to preach the gospel. The later epistles, of course, are explaining and expounding Jesus' teaching, but the, the apostles now imbued with the Holy Spirit and with a good recollection of all that Jesus taught would have produced the same in substance as all other epistles not yet in the hands of these men that will be commissioned by the resurrected Christ from the mountain in the far north. The later epistles explain the gospel, they explain the, who Jesus is better, they, with great detail, they, they give you uh, uh, more insight into his work, his purposes, uh, but all of that is in substance in, in the seed, in seed form in the gospel. If you have the gospel right, you will get all the right understanding of all subsequent epistles and everything else. Now, what is preaching? A preaching is a heralding. It's not a conversation. It's a heralding, uh, that is to say, a declaration, a, 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 a crier, a messenger going out, and he is not merely a volunteer. He is conscripted by a holy calling as an official messenger of heaven. He is an ambassador. And not every Christian is an ambassador. All Christians are witnesses. Because uh, uh, the, the Lord says in, uh, to his church, wait in the upper room. He said that not to his disciples only, and not to his apostles only, but he said it to the disciples one, uh, numbering 120. Remain in Jerusalem until you are imbued with power from on high. And then you shall be my witnesses. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts. All right. Preaching is a heralding of the gospel. The God's official messenger goes forth, and preaching is the primary means to manifest not just the truth of Christ and his gospel, but making the invisible, the spiritual kingdom of Christ visible. And that, my friends, is the very nose cone of the church. Preaching is the very nose cone of the church. No preaching, ordinarily, no salvation. You can read that in Romans 10. How will they believe on this? They're sent. You, know, you need preaching. You need ambassadors. So my friends, the means to advance the kingdom, and while advancing the kingdom, of course, is to hasten, as it were, the kingdom of glory, the, the, the return of Christ, the means to advance that kingdom seems foolish and weak by worldly standards of authority, of power. I don't know. I don't know. But it seems like the kingdoms of this world very seldom uh, will ask the counsel and advice of Christ's kingdom, the church. And yet Christ's church, and only Christ's church, is what will abide in the new heavens and the new earth. We are the new man, we are the new creation, we are the new society and the everlasting people of God. But the, this 
this thing about going forward. Yeah, I, I even Plato had a little bit of dialectic. Come on. I mean, the philosophers, they enjoyed a little bit of, of give and take, right? You know, a little synthesis, antithesis. You know, come on. Who are you to be out proclaiming an absolute message that must be heeded, no prisoners taken? What do you mean to show up in your rags and require this of our emperors, of our statesmen, of our diplomats? But that's God's will. And he will prove us strong in our weakness, and he will prove our, his wisdom in our foolishness as we obey him. God's foolishness, so-called, and his weakness, so-called, is sufficient for world empire. And that's the point. That's the point. Men strive, and men war, Men rival one another. The Lord lays down all his strength and does the most foolish thing of all. And that works. And it works triumphantly. Other options you may think are more effective because they make sense. But preaching is a positive law. And it's meant for us to trust the Lord and not to... Uh, I think, well, how does this fit in with Aristotle? I, and how, is, how does this fit in with how our culture uh, seems to emphasize things in another way? Well, there must be some accommodation. There must be some compliance. There must be some compromise here. This is absolutely going to fail. That's the design. That is the experiment. God in his weakness and his foolishness is better than our strength and in our knowledge. And, and will we bow? Because in this positive law, it will have us to know that we are creatures and we are nothing but dust and dirty, sinful dust to boot. Other options may seem more attractive. But you know what? This is God's final will and testament. This is God's final word. And he himself, as the chief prophet, has said it will succeed. Now I want to bring out the fact that the, the gospel then is is in fact the final communication, the final revelation from heaven. Nothing is to be added, nothing is to be omitted from the gospel. It is the final word. That is to say that Jesus is the final word. In Jesus is the fullness of the revelation of God. Whatever has been revealed of God in time past was, as it were, a facet of the second person of the Trinity, Christ, and of his taking him, himself in a, a true body and a reasonable soul, being born of the, uh, the, the Virgin Mary, under law, serving God perfectly under every commandment, serving God and enduring all manner of injustice, all manner of slander, accusation, hatred, leading to the cross, where he was convicted as, as a criminal, convicted of blasphemy, and yet a truer, more righteous, and only righteous man has never been seen. And God vindicated him, though the world condemned him. All nations condemned him. Now all nations will know that they faulted in condemning the Son of God. All nations will see that the Lamb 
that was slain is really glorious and that he is the head of a new creation. And so what we see here is in the, upon the deliverance of the final word, all other subsequent revelation in the New Testament adds really nothing of substance to the gospel. And really nothing of substance in a, that is different from the Old Testament except those things that were foreshadowing and the, there were outlines of the glory of Christ. Now that he's come, we have the essence. Christ is the final word and a sufficient word. The second point of the sermon is this, that the church is a witness of the gospel to the whole world. A witness bears a testimony. You may think that the witness is the ambassador or the, the, uh, the missionary. But the missionary, especially as we are Presbyterian, re regard them as representatives of the church. So it is the church that is going out. A witness is a testimony. What does the witness testify to? Well, conspiring with the Holy Spirit of God, it testifies of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment by the Holy Spirit. Again, Acts 1.8 uh, Christ himself tells his disciples, wait in Jerusalem, and because you are my witnesses, you are going to be my witnesses. So a witnesses of sin and of righteousness in Christ, sin in ourselves, sin being imputed to Christ on the cross, Christ who knew no sin becoming sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God in him. We preach that, and that's our witness the church must preach sin, righteousness, and uh, judgment. Also, a witness of Christ in all of his offices, in his person, in all of his graces, in all of his gifts, in all of his eternality, in his aseity, having no beginning, no end, begotten eternally from the Father. God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made. That's what the church does as a witness. And as Christ is king, his kingdom goes forth with divine power and the nations not only must be wooed and must be invited to come in, but they must be, they must be, be warned that this is an everlasting kingdom and this kingdom will not fail and you cannot withstand it. So bow now, today is the day of salvation. It's a gracious and merciful kingdom. And he will forgive you your sins and he will overlook all trans, trans, transgression, even violent transgressions of, of his law. Do your whole debt of sin. Now, if you refuse this, then you default into the kingdoms of this world that will one day all be wrapped up and gone, fire. The church is a witness because it is the pillar and the ground of the truth in the world. It stands as a monument, a greater, a more colossal monument than all monuments of antiquity, greater than the, the, uh, the, the monuments of any Acropolis. It stands on a sure ground, 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15. And so the church must safeguard, the, the, the church is a steward of that gospel that has been entrusted to them, and every Christian must be on their guard that that gospel be found in the church, pronounced by its heralds, and uh, God worshipped in Christ as a gospel church. 
The saints then are also gospel witnesses. All right? Um, the messengers, of course, evangelize. These are the ambassadors. But all believers are salt and light in the world. Uh, primarily, the action is as follows. You are here nourished and strengthened. You are encouraged and you are given new directives. And you go out into the world. And you are among the nations. Wherever you go, God is with you. You bear his name. You bear his spirit. You are a temple of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the church has always been that. It doesn't try to become salt and light. It is salt and light in Christ. It's a matter of being and not becoming. We could not be more uh, of what God insists his church is. Now, if we appear to be less salty and less light, it's because we may have compromised the gospel. We are now being obedient. We're in jeopardy of losing our lampstand, etc. Nevertheless, that is the function of all believers, to be salt and light. To be salt and light. And as the saints gathered in the assembly, I say it every time we have the Lord's Supper, by the way, this evening, the third Sunday we have, we have communion. It's a means of grace. The Lord is with us, not merely when we evangelize, but he is certainly with us at the Lord's table uh, in, a, in a very powerful and spiritual method. Come here for refreshment. Come here for strengthening, and he will minister to you by his grace. He's promised to. But as the saints gather together, you declare the praises of God. You encourage one another by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You proclaim his death in taking the Lord's Supper until he returns. And that, my friends, is a mighty, mighty witness. Now, who are you witnessing to? It's just a small group here, right? Now you're, you're witnessing to principalities and power, to angelic hosts far beyond our own imagining. We are in a war zone between heaven and hell. There's a conflict and it's cosmic. And we are witnesses to a power that can defeat everything that stands against the Lord and against his anointed. When you come to church, it's a military decision. And you are serving as magistrates and condemning demons and hordes of those that stand against God. And if anybody here was not convinced of the gospel, you're also, well, you're pleading that they do repent. You're, you're pleading that they do believe. You're also denouncing every form of wickedness and unbelief and sensuality uh, and hatred and, and misspeech and stealing, all, all, of the, all of those things. The church then, as God's witness, will certainly be an offset. As we are in the world, we are yet offset from the world, and spiritually we are apart from the world. Spiritually. But we must be in the world to be effective, and that is our commission. But the church will have trouble in the darkened world. The church, the church will, is not going to find friendly Friendly welcomes, unless it's just, you know, a civil welcome, but spiritually, in terms of true fellowship, unless what you're meeting up with is sanctified people who are of God's elect and they are to be gathered into the church. That's how we go forward. You can expect conflict. Evangelism is difficult. Evangelism is just not, it's not something nice that we do in the neighborhood. It's not an ice cream social. It's the nose cone 
of the kingdom of God. It's hard. Pray for those that are messengers, ambassadors, and those that gossip the gospel as just Christians, faithful Christians, because the church is a witness to the gospel of the whole world. Finally, the third point, the end comes when all God's saints are gathered. When all God's saints are gathered. Second Peter 3 speaks of the, the great patience of God. And why, why, why is the, the end delay? Why is Christ's return, why is second coming, why is it taking so long? <clears throat> Wicked men will say, oh, yeah, that old story. <laughs> well, Peter says, you know, they also forget that in the, the ancient world, Noah preached, and they mocked him until the rains came, and there was no, there was no other, there was no other out. Those who entered the ark were spared. But Peter says that God is still patiently enduring all nations until his, until all come to repentance. That is to say, all those who have received the grace of repentance and the, and the forgiveness of sins, the remittance of sins, until they are gathered. And, and once they are gathered and to God's liking, they are sufficiently sanctified then the end comes. The end comes when all God's saints are gathered. This is by the infallible decree of God who spoke all things into existence from nothing. He can certainly bring a church out of, well, something more than nothing, out of a corrupt mass of God-hating, Satan-loving, pleasure-loving, violent, blasphemous, sensual, and dangerous sinners. He can do this. And this is indeed his decree. He can bring them in to his church visible, but more importantly, he can grant them true union in the Holy Spirit with Christ. This is his decree. It cannot fail. Again, Jesus knows the, the mind of God and the Holy Spirit, and here is his prophecy in Matthew 24. Uh, the gospel, this gospel, this gospel uh, of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Be sure, then, that a church stands as a living witness to all peoples, that the gospel is true, that if the gospel is true, that Christ is returning, and he's returning not as a baby, He's returning in glory as the, as the Lord of glory. <clears throat> and meanwhile, the church evangelizes. In a sense, all Christians evangelize. Again, we're Presbyterian. Uh, we work by representatives. When the, when, when the church makes a, a, a corrective course in ministry, it's not because your pastor says so. It's because the session of elders has voted and considered the matter. And this is how Presbyterians go forward as representatives of the church. You're all welcome to session meetings. We're having one on Tuesday. You're all welcome. It's just that when we get into some private matters, you'll be excused, but not everything's private. Very little is private. But you're all welcome. And you can, you can even ask to be participating. If you have something, you want, bring it forward. But what I'm saying is, it is you evangelize by representation. This is your church, and it's your commission by your representatives, and you participate with prayer. You, are, you participate with funds. 
you uh, participate by encouraging those that labor uh, and, and, and certainly by not discouraging them. All right? Meanwhile, all God's children, all God's elect are certainly and irresistibly brought safely into his kingdom from out of the nations, from out of Satan's kingdom. This is happening, as has been happening since Adam and Eve received the first promise, the Evangelium. And you can read about that in the letter pages of the book of Revelation. It is of God, my friends, that you heard the gospel and believe. You can praise him. You can remain in the visible kingdom of God, the church. And so you remain in the church and you remain watchful. And you follow the spirit as he convicts of sin and in you and righteousness in Christ and of judgment of, uh, of the world to come, of Christ the King who is Lord over all, and he is sovereign over you in all things so you obey all positive laws. Eat this bread, drink this wine. Why? How does this help anybody in Rwanda? It will. The gospel helps everyone as the church is faithful in the least of God's commandments. Praise him for this. Remain, remain in the church. People are giving up on the church as if there's any other option. Remain in the visible church, but more importantly, remain watchful as a saint in Christ's invisible, spiritual, and yet real body. Let me conclude this sermon. An infallible sign of the near return of Christ Jesus is the gospel having been preached to all the peoples of the world. My friends, the Lord said it best, he who doesn't gather with them scatters. If you're not participating to some degree by prayers, at least uh, with, 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 with money, it takes money to, to, to ship. It takes money to ship your Amazon products to your front door. And it takes money to ship your messengers across the seas uh, to, to, the, to the other lands. Are you with Jesus in his kingdom? Are, are, you a prof, are you a proper witness? And we can begin in small ways here too. We don't always have to be going out to be his witnesses. Some people come here, they come in through the front door. It's amazing that they're bold enough to come in and figure out what's going on here. And you as the church can welcome such a one and by and by discern, well, oh wow, he does have a faith in the Lord Jesus. He's my brother, he's my sister. To remain in your seat, to remain uh, just yourself without any concern for visitors is a dereliction of the Great Commission. What signs of Christ's return are you watching? Are you watching for the... the, the, the it don't, don't make the mistake that Elijah made. Always looking for some stupendous thing, some earthquake or some, you know. The Lord gave him a little, a little puff of a cloud. A little, a mild little breeze. It's in the foolish things, the things that are not where the strength is. Watch the church, not seismic activity. Not whether we're getting, you know, more UFO activity. Watch the church and especially watch missions. Watch missions and watch successful church plants. Watch men as they're trained for future generations of leadership. Watch the children having a good knowledge of the Bible and of the rudiments of the faith as expressed uh, in summary form in our, in our catechisms and all that. Are you concerned about the end? 
Are you concerned of, about Jesus' second coming? Do you ever think about the Lord Jesus coming? You know, if, if you had been separated from your girlfriend that you were trying to date and marry, if you had been separated from her for a week, you'd, you'd be wanting to get in touch. You'd miss her. You'd miss her very badly. Do you miss Christ? I mean to say not in spirit, uh, but physically, because he is coming back. So pray and work and worship in the church and evangelize. Evangelize. And eagerly expect and love his appearing. The blessing of salvation are all those who love his appearing. And no one will love his appearing who isn't anticipating him in love. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible? All right. Rather than a parenthesis, period, popular modern theology, the church is really the main event preceding the very end. And that's why it's listed as the last sign here, uh, at least in the narrative here immediately before us in the passage read in its context. It's not a parenthesis. It's, it's, it's the main... It's the main event under the big tent. This is the express purpose of God in revealing his person in his son with his people. It is the very token of eternity and the new heavens and the new earth. And how somebody can marginalize that, well, really, it's all, the Bible is really all about the Jews. Wow. You missed that one by a, by a mile. It's not a parenthesis. Understand what the church is in all ages. Study its government as it changes over the ages. And study its work. Do you love the Christ's church? Do you love his church? Do you seek her success above your own? Are you willing to lay down your life for, that is to say, your energies, your time, your resources, your money for the beloved bride of Christ. If you, if you say, well, yes, I, I, by God's grace, I'd like to do that. That's the spirit of Christ in you because the spirit of Christ loves Christ's bride. And if not, my friends, take a look to see whether you are in the Lord. As imperfect as she is, as ugly and imperfect and full of trouble, she is the only ark of salvation. No animal, and certainly nobody in Noah's family gets saved unless they go in with all the animals and their poop and their stink. And that's the church. And that's how Calvin preached it. Motley collection of the worst people in the world, the church. But he knew he had to love her and he knew he had to perfect her. And that was his charge as a minister in Geneva. Do you love Christ's church? Will you forgive your brother's sins? Will you submit to her leadership? That's a kingdom. And that's a kingdom of love. And that's a kingdom of Christ. All other kingdoms will not endure. Let's pray. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, for the faithful word that you have for us, that you surely will come but not until the gospel has had a wonderful, wonderful testimony of triumph to all peoples. We pray that we would participate in that triumph. We pray that we would regard the true signs of the end and rejoice because God is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. 
bless every endeavor in Christ's name. And may we abide as your witnesses beyond Jerusalem, beyond Judea, Samaria, to the very corners until you gather your elect out of east, west, and north, and south to your own glory, the glory of the praise of your mercy in Christ. We pray this. Amen. Let's have an offering, please. much as we would fuel your missionary enterprise, your church, we pray that you would bless these gifts and bless the giver. Consider it, Lord, in every respect an act of worship. And Lord, you have our hearts. We consecrate you again as, as Christians anointed in the Holy Spirit and your witnesses to the ends, Lord, that you might be known in all the parts of the world, that your glory would fill the earth, even as the waters cover the sea. We bless you and we praise you through these gifts in Christ. Amen. This is our psalm. Uh, it's, not, it's not as difficult as you might imagine, so maybe uh, go through it once.